Good morning from the newsroom of the Financial Times. Today is Wednesday, January 29th, and this is your FT News Briefing. Apple sets new records for both revenue and income in its last quarter. Starbucks closes stores in China due to the coronavirus. Republicans scramble to make sure witnesses are blocked in Donald Trump's impeachment trial, while at the White House, Mr. Trump releases his Middle East peace plan. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. Apple had itself a very happy holiday season. On Tuesday, the tech group reported one of the biggest quarterly profits for any company. For the three-month stretch that ended on December 28th, net profits came in at $22.2 billion. That was on revenues of nearly $92 billion. Apple seemed to be operating on all cylinders. It recorded higher revenues from the iPhone, AirPods and watches, and its services division. This is a very different story from last summer when iPhone sales plummeted. Apple's stock price has more than doubled in the last year, giving the company a $1.4 trillion market capitalization. Shares in Apple were up almost 2% in after-hours trading. Now Apple is projecting anywhere between $63 billion and $67 billion in revenue for the current quarter. That wide range is owed to some possible hits to its supply chain from the coronavirus. Apple isn't the only one preparing investors for the potential financial impact of the coronavirus. Starbucks says it has shut more than half of its nearly 4,300 cafes in China. It shortened the number of hours other cafes stayed open, too. The coffee giant said the impact of the coronavirus on its financial results could not be reasonably estimated yet. But it did say results for the current quarter and the full year were expected to be, quote, materially affected. Starbucks isn't the only business to be hit by the coronavirus. Food companies have been hit especially hard. KFC, McDonald's, and Pizza Hut are among the chains that have also shut outlets. But back on Starbucks' home turf, where the chain has more than 15,000 stores, business is still healthy. U.S. sales were up 9% in the last quarter to nearly $5 billion. On Tuesday afternoon, Donald Trump's legal team wrapped up their defense arguments in the president's impeachment trial. Now, the Senate will move on to the next stage. You cannot impeach a president on an unsourced allegation. That was Donald Trump's personal lawyer, Jay Sekulow, yesterday. Mr. Sekulow was referencing allegations by John Bolton, the former White House national security advisor. Reports indicated that in an upcoming book by Mr. Bolton, he accuses Mr. Trump of withholding aid to Ukraine unless it publicly announced an investigation into Joe Biden. By Tuesday night, Senate Republican leaders were pressuring colleagues to block witnesses appearing in the trial. This was after a small group of moderate senators indicated they wanted to hear from Mr. Bolton. Now, senators, who are the jurors in this trial, will have 16 hours to submit questions. These questions will be followed by the vote on whether to allow witnesses. That vote is expected to happen as early as Friday. Meanwhile, at the White House yesterday, Mr. Trump laid the foundations for what he called a, quote, realistic two-state solution for Israel and Palestine. The FT's Katrina Manson breaks down the president's Middle East peace plan. There are lots of things in this plan that are anathema to the Palestinian cause. One is that uh, Mr. Trump made very clear that Jerusalem would remain, in his view, the capital of 
Israel and be an undivided capital. He put many conditions on the path to eventual Palestinian statehood. And this is where the technical bit comes in. He said that Israel had agreed to allocate land to an eventual Palestinian state that would be more than double the territory that it has at the moment, and that Israel would agree to freeze any development on this land for the next four years. And and at the end of that time, the Palestinians could achieve statehood if it meets the criteria for statehood. But these criteria were quite lengthy and it would be hard to imagine a situation where the criteria could be met. One of them is to make sure that Hamas is no longer in any control of the Gaza Strip, that there is no funding for terrorism, which in US eyes is anything to do with money that goes to Iran or Iranian proxies. But it is a big ask of of the Palestinians to meet these criteria. And of course, this comes at a very useful time for Benjamin Netanyahu, who's just been indicted on corruption charges and is attempting to win re-election for the third time. And the interesting thing is whether he wins or his main contender, Benny Gantz, wins, they've all signed on to this deal because it is a great deal for the right wing in Israel who wants to maintain and extend security privileges that the Trump administration has clearly backed. And here's a story you should know more about. For years, Goldman Sachs was a bank shrouded in secrecy. Their earnings reports were horrific. That's U.S. banking editor Laura Noonan. She says while most banks made it easy to see how the business was doing... Goldman was indecipherable. They were much worse at basically telling people who they were and what they were doing. And that didn't really matter because they were making a lot of money for a long time. So when things are going well, people don't really expect as much from you in terms of disclosure because they're just happy that, that things are going well and that you're making money. But Goldman has struggled in the decades since the financial crisis, while some of its rivals thrived it's forced the bank to rethink its business strategy and compelled it to be more transparent. All of that has culminated in Goldman Sachs' first ever Investor Day, which is happening today. Laura has more on Goldman's transformation. There were three key things that Goldman has historically done very well. It does other things, but the main things are investment banking, which is giving advice to companies and helping them to raise debt and equity and M&A. Then there's trading, which is trading securities on behalf of clients. And then there is the proprietary trading piece where Goldman made an awful lot of money pre-crisis by trading day to day for the bank itself. They were the three main engines. After the financial crisis, the whole prop trading of banks trading for themselves was effectively banned. That immediately took away one of the big pillars of Goldman. Other banks did it too, but it wasn't as significant a part of their businesses. Investment banking is always a volatile business. There are times when there's a lot of activity, a lot of fees, and there are quiet times. So it's been up and down. And what about trading on behalf of clients? That's also been in structural decline because after there's two factors there. One is after the financial crisis, they brought in capital regulations that made it more expensive for banks to do. The other is there's a lot of low cost trading people out there. There's like quant funds and people who can do trading really, really quickly. And that makes it harder for banks to make money. And so now they're trying to turn things around. And that's come in the form of a few things. Culture change, that includes things like abandoning the formal dress code. There's the one Goldman approach to serving clients, which is basically a promise to be more collaborative. And then they're having their first ever investor day today. Laura, what is Goldman hoping to accomplish with that? 
So over the last three or four years, Goldman has recognised that the marketplace has shifted significantly and that in order to be successful, they need to change their business mix. They've been steadily doing that. So, I mean, it's a few years now since they launched the consumer bank markets. They've also been getting into credit cards. So we have the Apple credit card that was launched in August. They've been getting more into mass market wealth management through buying United Capital and they've talked about building a cash management business. So they've been doing all of these things. What investors don't really get is how do all of these things stitch together into a cohesive whole that is the future of Goldman Sachs. So the aim of Investor Day really is to tie it all together and say, listen, these are the different things that we're doing this is how it all fits together and this is what Goldman's going to look like. So David Solomon has been chief executive now for about 14 months. He's been working on this pretty much since he came in and the main objective is to convince people that Goldman can be a more diversified bank while still retaining some of the eliteness and some of the prestige that it spent 150 years building up. So Laura, is this investor day going to work? So the question is, can they convince people they have a plan and the plan will get them to a good place? That, I guess, remains to be seen. The bar is reasonably high. And the problem for these guys as well is that David Solomon has been talking about this for a year and a bit. So the expectation management is a huge part of it. I mean, I spoke to one senior executive who said that the chances of it being underwhelming and disappointing were about 100% because the hype that has built around it is so great. So they have to really stage manage that pretty carefully. As to the overall question, is this going to work? Is this going to be a more profitable and better Goldman Sachs? I think it is a decade long play. If you think about something like building a decent consumer bank or fundamentally turning around a 150 year old bank. And it's always hard to tell with these things because banking is so dependent on the macro and on the regulatory piece that Goldman Sachs could be anywhere in 10 years time and it'll have as much to do with what happens to banking regulation and what happens to the US economy as it will have to do with what David Solomon announces at Investor Day. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news. 